Did I ever tell you that a fish bit my nipple? (laughs) (laughs) This is going to be worth every penny of the ramble jar, Dan. (laughs) I have not heard this story. (laughs) Welcome to Damn It, Jim, the podcast. Episode by episode of Star Trek, the original series, as seen through the eyes of your hosts, Dana Smith and Dan Calzaretta. I'm Dana Smith. Good evening, Dan. Hey, Dana. How are you doing this evening? Good. I'm off the next two days, so looking forward to it. Yeah, very nice. Very nice. Do you have plans? Uh, Sleep, eat, Mm -hmm. drink, repeat. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so you've got uh, four days, right? Yep. How much could you get in in four days, do you think? How many of those cycles? <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't really sleep all that much. And I don't eat as much as I used to. And I don't drink as much as I used to. So I'm thinking like two. Yeah, I'm thinking like two cycles and I'd probably, you know, waste it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that's okay, though. It'll be It's good to get some time off. Yeah, definitely. So, Dan, uh, you have some listener comments that we've gotten? Yes, I do, Dana. In fact, <laughs> thanks for asking. Um, first, from Ursula in Austria. Uh, she's one of our actually loyal international listeners. Uh, has been with us, I think, almost from the beginning, right? Yeah, she was one of the first to contact us. Yeah, so that's right. Thank you very much, Ursula. Yep, and you you originally thought it was Australia, but you, you pretty quickly got that fixed. <laughs> and uh, she stuck with us anyway. So she asks about Amok Time from last week, a question, and she wanted to hear our opinion, Dana. She wanted to know why Spock's parents weren't at the wedding, especially, you know, it's such an important day in their son's life. Where are they? I thought that was a great question. What are your thoughts, Dana? Well, uh, Sirik was an ambassador, right? So chances are he wasn't just hanging out on Vulcan. He was probably someplace else. And of course, his wife would have been with him. Yeah, but don't you think they would have like had this on their calendar and just come home? I don't think it was on anybody's calendar except for Spock's biological calendar. You know, so what do you think, Dan? Your reason sounds really good, really logical. Maybe it has to do more with the writers of the show. Like they hadn't really fleshed out Spock's entire background and maybe they weren't ready to introduce his parents. You know, we always assume that weddings and events are just like what we have here on Earth. Maybe parents don't go to their son's wedding. T'Pring did not have her parents there. Yeah, Ursula actually mentioned that as well in her email. Ursula, thanks again for the question. Great question. I hadn't really thought about it until she sent us that email. So thanks once again. We also heard from Holden on 3 on YouTube. Holden on 3 says about today's episode, because we told people what today's episode would be. He said, it's not who mourns for Adonis, but he corrects the pronunciation. He says, it's who mourns for Adonais. 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 Uh, God, Dana, this is, remember we had problems <laughs> pronouncing things? This is going to be another one. Um, so it's, it actually is not Adonis. It, that's totally accurate. So he says it's pronounced Adonais. I also looked it up online. It looks like it can also be pronounced Adonais. And then they also said this about TV dinners. I wonder if a frozen dinner brand, Banquet, Marie Callender's, Hungry Man, etc., put out a line called, quote, TV dinner in a box designed with that Swanson style old school TV screen frame and knobs would they actually sell. Maybe people would eat them up as it were, even if only ironically or not. <laughs> so that's what, <laughs> that was a great point. So uh, thanks Hodanon3 for sending us those comments. So Dana, last week you asked our listeners if they could take any 
episode from season one, with the exception of Space Seed, to make into a Star Trek film in the Chris Pine franchise, which episode it would be. We got a lot of responses on that, didn't we? Wow. Yeah, we got a lot. I was I was kind of shocked. And yeah, a lot of strong opinions, too. Yes, there were. <laughs> People were not afraid to say their well, speak their minds on this. So first, Dan, I want to ask, uh, what episode would you pick? Well, Dana, is it okay to combine a couple episodes? We never really put any rules on this. Sure, why not? I would like to incorporate two characters to kind of team up to be kind of a buddy flick, kind of a buddy movie, you know? And it would be Harry Mudd and Schmitter. <laughs> and the episode or the film would be called Mud and Schmitter. <laughs> or Schmitter Mud. Or it could be Schmitter Mud. There's a lot of ways that this could go, Dana. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> now, Schmitter would have to somehow come back from the dead. But, you know, in the new franchise, they changed some things. So maybe he just got a little toasty. He didn't get like burnt to a crisp or something. And then he and Mud pair up and they have this grand adventure in the universe that Kirk finally puts an end to and has to be a buzzkill. But anyway, I, I thought that would be fun to do. Wow. That's that's different. That's different from anything else we got. Well, a couple are <laughs> close. So what about you? What did you think? Well, I took it a little bit more seriously. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, you said that with a little bit of uh, judgment, <laughs> a bit of value judgment in that statement there, Dana. No, no, not at all. You want to make jokes about Star Trek? Fine. That's fine. So. <laughs> I was thinking where no man has gone before. I just think that with special effects being better, that there's action, there's drama, you could add some sex appeal in there and stuff, uh, you know, so just think that would be a, an interesting take. Could also get a little bit deeper into uh, Kirk and Mitchell's friendship. Uh, looking at them all, Space Seed is, you know, by far the one that sets itself up to be, to have a sequel to. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. But let's talk uh, about what other people were uh, voicing their opinions on this idea. Uh, some were quite adamant that the Kelvin timeline should be eliminated, <laughs> that uh, the, don't even make another film, and that we should forget that uh, those first three existed. So uh, our friend Brian Kavanaugh suggested that they do a Star Trek musical or even a dance-off, uh, which, you know... <laughs> <laughs> has some merit so yeah i like that idea <laughs> scott vila suggested uh mud's women and and i did think about that one for some obvious reasons um and that led to a discussion <laughs> further on in facebook about uh space hookers and uh oh right so yeah, yeah. and more than a couple people suggested balance of terror I would say that was probably the one of the biggest ones that we had. Uh, Hammerhead Freds suggested uh, who mourns for Adonis, Adenos, uh, however we're saying that tonight. But he suggested that we use a that they would use a different deity just to kind of mix things up. Uh, Wes Huntington and Jason T both liked the idea of reworking the Corbo might maneuver. Zach O'Donnell thought, "What are little girls made of?" would be a good one, and I have to admit. I think that has a lot of potential with uh, androids and stuff in that episode. So. Mm -hmm, right. Um, and of course, you'd have to bring back the uh, special suit that the uh, female android wore. Oh, right. So. Yeah. Well, in an updated version, she wouldn't have to wear anything. Or it could just be like plastic, that uh, clear plastic. <laughs> God, that'd be uncomfortable. Yeah, it sure would. Remember plastic covers on couches? 
and oh, stuff. Oh, yeah, yes, my grandparents had them. <laughs> uh, yeah. I hated those, especially in the summers in Illinois. Ooh. Wow. Yeah. You'd be on there with shorts and no shirt, you know, and you'd stand up and that, just that sound. Oh, it sticks to you and you're, it's yeah. all sweaty and stuff. Yeah. yeah oh, man. Nasty. Yeah. yeah. My grandparents had that typical, you know, Midwest Italian grandparents with the, <laughs> yeah. Oh, gross. You know, I think most people put it on so that kids don't get the couches dirty or pets or something, but there could be another reason, Dana. Other stains you're thinking of? Is that it? Could be. Treat it like a slip and slide? I don't know. It's a... <laughs> uh, and, you know, when you get old, it's harder to make it to the Schmitter. <laughs> Especially with all the TV dinners they've eaten in the day. Oh, man. And so you'd want to have easy, quick cleanup. <laughs> okay. Back to the show. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> totally related. Uh... That's totally related. <laughs> yeah. No, that, I don't think that was a ramble at all. Randall Mannion suggested arena and calling it Gorn with the wind. <laughs> That's a great one. <laughs> I love that idea. Yeah. Uh, Shane Mervin suggested a taste of Armageddon and Mark Harris suggested uh, the popular balance of terror. And it's important to note that the Facebook page, Star Trek, the original series declined our post as they don't deal with anything involving the Kelvin timeline. They only deal with the original series. And I think that's awesome. Anyway, uh, some great responses to this question. Uh, after some thought, I think I agree with a lot of the listeners, and I don't think they should attempt to do anything anything from the original series. Yeah, and, and like you said, some people were even angry that we even posted the question. Oh, yeah. People had comments about... Uh, what J.J. Uh, Abrams can do with the Kelvin timeline. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it was a great response, though. I love some of those ideas. The musical ideas were fantastic. Gorn with the Wind, love that idea as well. So before we dive into this week's episode, Dan, we had a uh, survey out. Do you want to talk about the results of the survey and who won the, the grand prize? Yeah, let's talk about the results of that uh, listener poll, our first ever listener poll. We got quite a few results. Uh, as I kind of look through the answers, the most surprising result to me was that City on the Edge of Forever was not everyone's favorite episode. Uh, now, it did get mentioned by a few, but uh, more listeners mentioned uh, The Menagerie, Tomorrow is Yesterday, Devil in the Dark, Balance of Terror, Errand of Mercy, and The Corbomite Maneuver. That was interesting to me, Dana. That's fascinating because all the stuff I read on Facebook... Before we did uh, City on the Edge of Forever, uh, we're talking about it all the time. I thought that was hands down everybody's favorite. Yeah. On the poll, though, it wasn't. So found that interesting. Uh, however, there was one clear favorite, Dana, when it comes to the least favorite episode. <laughs> I think you can probably guess it. That would be the alternative factor. Well, we're in good company then. So. Totally in good company. Although one person did say Miri was their least favorite episode or anything with kids. Oh, yeah, I saw that. Yeah. So that person did not like children, apparently. Favorite villain? Another clear winner on this one was Khan. But the Salt Creature also got some votes. The Horda, the Gorn also got some love from our listeners. I'm not sure the Horda really in the end was a villain, but I get what they're kind of what they were getting at there. The favorite alien, that was a bit of a mixed bag. Some listeners liked the Gorn and the Horda, about the same number of listeners voted for each. Uh, but others mentioned the Vulcans. Hmm. Although in the first season, we only see one, right? And that's that's Spock. Yeah. 
others mentioned the Romulans and uh, Kor, who was uh, the Klingon commander that we saw in Errand of Mercy. Favorite main character? About the same... This also was a little surprising to me, Dana. About the same number voted for Uhura, Spock, and Kirk. But that was surprising to me, but I think also I really liked it. I thought it was fantastic that Uhura gets top billing with our fans right next to Spock and Kirk. When Nichelle Nichols passed away, Mm -hmm. there was a lot of uh, reaction to her passing and a lot of pictures posted a lot of people saying what a beautiful woman she was uh and people make comments all the time by the way what a great character she was on the show so in some ways i'm not surprised yeah once again i think it was great that uhura was right up there with uh, spock and kirk some did mention scotty and mccoy sulu however got almost no response from our listeners wow I just, I thought that was interesting. Uh, the favorite podcast episode from season one, clear winner there was Devil in the Dark with several people mentioning the reason was due to Schmitter. <laughs> Who would ever thought that the uh, a phrase like Schmitter would put us on the map, Dan? So. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I thought that was great. Uh, favorite cold open? And a cold open is the 15 seconds or so of audio that listeners hear before the show actually begins. The clear winner there was from Galileo 7, where you're talking about the shuttlecraft being powered by stinky cheese. (laughs) It just makes sense. It does. It totally does make sense. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. One of the questions we ask is, what do people enjoy about the show? One is the ramble jar. And when we ramble, people seem to enjoy that. But more people like the counts that we do at the end of each episode. And that was followed closely by anything related to Schmitter. So there we go. Schmitter shows up again. (laughs) Stalactite didn't make it in there? No, there was no stalactite. I thought that was interesting too. Yeah, but Schmitter, Schmitter's like that that one that you just can't get to go down no matter how many times you flush. (laughs) It's not going away. (laughs) So... That was good. Uh, then we also asked about any ideas for season two. The, the, I thought there were some good ideas here, Dana. One was a Schmitter jar. Not sure what would go in that. <laughs> and what the sound effect would be. Yeah. <laughs> thought, thought that was funny. Some people wanted us to add a few more counts so that we could point out holes in the plot, for example. Uh, one person wanted us to get guests from the show. Well, that would be fun if we could, you know. Yeah. One person wrote they wanted Son of Schmitter. not sure what that is but i'm sure we could make something up and then another person mentioned talking about the lost cast members i mean that was that's really everyone except for three at this point right yeah and now dana what everyone has been waiting for that is the winner of our very first listener poll right so we took all of those names i got them in a hat so the winner of our original series unopened collectible star trek pez dispenser is Okay, here we go. I'm gonna. I'm pulling one out, Dana. My eyes are closed. I don't know why it matters. No one can see me right now. Okay, I got it right here, Dana. Dana, you're the winner. <laughs> Actually, you're not. That's. Uh, I submitted uh, 15 surveys. Yeah. Uh, you are a winner, Dana, in almost every area of your life, but not this. Okay. Um, the winner is Matt Fleming. Congratulations, Matt. Hey. Matt, we will uh, get in touch with you this week through the email address that you gave to us, and uh, we'll get your mailing address, and we'll send that right out to you. So congratulations, Matt. 
Let's dive into who mourns for Adonais. So we uh, come into the uh, bridge of the Enterprise and we see Lieutenant Caroline Palamas. Uh, she provides Captain Kirk with details on planet Pollux 5. McCoy says to her, she says, you look tired, Lieutenant. And she says she was, she was up all night working on the reports. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what she was doing. <laughs> Scotty asks her to join him for a cup of coffee. And McCoy seems a little concerned that Scotty might be barking up the wrong tree, as it were. Then there's a whole conversation that sets the show back 200 years as McCoy says, On the other hand, she's a woman. All woman. One day she'll find the right man. Off she'll go. Out of the service. Mm-hmm. Oh, that was so bad, Dana. <laughs> Just, I was glad my wife wasn't watching this with me. Uh, <laughs> She would have left. I think you're absolutely right when you say it set the show back 200 years. How many times have we talked about this, Dana? The show in some ways is very progressive, but when it comes to gender roles, not progressive at all. Oh, no. So the Enterprise nears the planet Pollux 4. All of a sudden, they see something coming towards them. A huge green hand materializes in space, catching and holding the ship. And as it approaches, Chekhov, once again with the bad wig, Really bad, really bad, Dana. It was worse this week. I think you're right. (laughs) Says, am I seeing things? Kirk orders the Enterprise reverse all engines, but the hand manages to hold the ship anyways. And that's how we uh, start the show off, Dan. Kirk tells Sulu to try rocking the ship. (laughs) (laughs) Like it's a 68 Chevy. Stuck in the snow. Sulu's got a rocker switch on, on his panel that he just goes forward and back and forward and back. <laughs> I don't know. I, I did laugh out loud when he said, try rocking the ship. Yeah, so, I had the same the same reaction, Dana. They can't break away from the field. And Spock reports it's not living tissue. Yeah, no shit. I mean, come on. It's a gigantic green hand in space. <laughs> <laughs> a disembodied green hand. Yeah. <laughs> Not living tissue. Come on, man. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Mr. Spock. Thank God you're here with us. (laughs) You're our what officer? Oh, science. Yeah, science officer. (laughs) Right. Yeah. They try using the tractor beams in reverse. So then Spock says that there's an image uh, on Scanner 5-7. And so they bring up Scanner 5-7 onto the main screen. And we see a face of a handsome man with a wreath on his head. The man says he welcomes the Enterprise crew, congratulating his beloved children for leaving their plains and valleys and making a bold venture into deep space. So this head says he has withdrawn the wind from their sails. Kirk gets a bit testy and insists he leaves them alone. The man says he will crush the ship, and suddenly the pressure on the ship increases, threatening to crush the hull. Kirk gives in, and, and the man asks that Kirk and his officers join him on the planet for a party. Captain Kirk, I invite you and your officers to join me, but do not bring that one, the one with the pointed ears. He is much like Pan. And Pan always bored me. So they beam down to the planet. It's Kirk, uh, McCoy, Scotty, Chekhov, and this Carolyn Palamas, who is trained in archaeology, anthropology, and ancient civilizations. Yeah. Why, Dana? She just happened to be on the bridge right at the right time. You know what I mean? So Reminds me a little bit of Space Seed. Yeah. With the historian. I mean, anthropology and archaeology make sense to me. 
right? You're going to visit planets with different alien species. You know, I mean, that makes sense to me. But ancient civilizations, that makes zero sense to me. That was what her minor was in. Uh, she had she majored in archaeology and anthropology and minored in ancient civilization. So when they uh, materialize on the planet, uh, they meet this man who invited them to the planet. He's dressed in like a toga. He introduces himself as Apollo. So right away, we see that Palamas is quite taken with him. Just like in Space Seed, as soon as she saw Khan, she was like totally smitten with him. Yeah, when he was in the case and, you know, asleep. <laughs> yeah, he wasn't even up. Well, he might have been up, but he was laying down. <laughs> <laughs> so Apollo says they will not leave this place. And Kirk tries to call the Enterprise, but nothing works. Uh, Apollo says they will worship him as their forefathers did years ago. And Kirk walks away and says, you have a lot to learn. And Apollo says, you will learn. And all of a sudden he grows in size to be about 30 feet tall. Back on the ship, Uhura tells Spock she cannot reach the landing party anymore. And Spock gives orders to try any way possible to get through to the landing party. We go back to the planet. Apollo suddenly looks tired and then he just kind of disappears. The team tries to discern what Apollo's power is and how he is yielding it. Kirk asks McCoy, what if he really is Apollo? Kind of suggesting that perhaps an alien race introduced themselves to mankind many years ago as gods to be worshipped. Now, that's interesting, Dana, because in the 60s, there were these books published like Ancient Aliens and things like that, you know, kind of posited this idea that superior alien races visited Earth back in ancient times, and that's who built the pyramids and things like that. So this idea was kind of in the culture. Yeah, I remember my brother had a couple books on that stuff. Kind of fascinating idea. Yeah, it's all crap, but yeah, fascinating. <laughs> in fact, I remember the first hardcover book I ever bought when I was probably in middle school, went to the bookstore by myself, used my own money, and it was something like In Search of Ancient Aliens. Wow. Yeah. Did you read it cover to cover? Oh, I did. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Might have been Chariot of, Chariots of the Gods. One of those. Chariots of the Gods is one I remember. Yeah, it might have been that one. And then you started believing in the flat earth and stuff after that, right? <laughs> <laughs> Just then, Apollo appears again. Apollo says he wants what is rightfully his, loyalty, tribute, and worship. Plamis steps up and says, what you're saying makes no sense at all. And he says, you seem wise for a woman. He asks her her name and she says, Lieutenant Palamas, know your name. And she kind of melts a little bit and says, Carolyn. Just then, Scotty doesn't really like him flirting with Palamas. No, because he's got the pond far for her, doesn't he? And says, leave her alone. Apollo says, you protest? Scotty draws his phaser and Apollo shoots a lightning bolt at him and that destroys the phaser. Chekhov points out that all the working parts on the phasers are fused. Apollo turns his attention back to Palamas and he changes her clothes into a pink Greek style toga. How it's held up on her body, I don't know. That's some good crazy or something, but... I think they used uh, double stick tape, which would hurt, I would guess. So Scotty doesn't like the fact that Apollo has redressed Carolyn Palamas. He goes after him and Apollo just kind of flicks his arm and sends Scotty flying over a table. And Apollo wants to take Palamas away and she agrees to go. They walk off together and disappear. So McCoy says Scotty is just stunned, but he'll be okay. So Scotty wakes up and he's concerned about Palamas and Kirk tells him to basically keep it in his pants. That's true. That was about it. Yeah. I mean, just 
says, you know, you've got other things to worry about and focus on your job and no more unauthorized actions against Apollo. When we cut back to the ship, Uhura reports that she hasn't been able to reestablish communications. And then she says she might be able to rig a subspace bypass circuit. Yeah, whatever the heck that is. <laughs> I think it's just like, here, let me throw out some crazy jargon that he won't understand and maybe he'll get off my back. <laughs> <laughs> that guy's always, ever since he got back from that pond far thing, he just is riding me. <laughs> so to speak. The rest of the landing team is back at Apollo's temple. They discuss how Apollo gets his power. There has to be a source of power. Chekhov says some creatures are able to use energy without damage to themselves. The electric eel, for instance. And he keeps going on. McCoy says, not the whole bloody encyclopedia. (laughs) Spock's contaminating the boy, Jim. (laughs) Yeah, another great line. That's my favorite line from the show. So Apollo appears... And he's without Lieutenant Palamas. And when they ask where she is, he says, she's no longer your concern. And Scotty lifts a small statue and goes after Apollo. And Apollo (laughs) zaps him with a lightning bolt from his finger. And the bolt sends Scotty flying again. McCoy says, Scotty is in severe shock. Kirk gets all upset and says, you wanted worshipers? You got enemies. And Apollo points a finger at him. And Kirk seems to be choked. Apollo sits in his chair and says, you will learn discipline. Then all of a sudden he looks tired again and he disappears. Chekhov tells Kirk that Apollo looked tired, almost injured. Where's Apollo? He disappeared again, like the cat in that Russian story. Don't you mean the English story, the Cheshire cat? Cheshire? No, sir. Minsk, perhaps. All right, all right, all right. Kirk thinks that this is pretty important. And I like that line by Chekhov because he's given, again, in these first couple of episodes, some kind of humorous lines, I guess, to match his wig. I don't know. (laughs) I think it uh, to distract us from the fact he's wearing a bad wig. That's got to be it. It's got to be it. So then Kirk says, let's suppose that 5,000 years ago, these creatures like Apollo visited Earth, and they formed the basis of Greek mythology. Then he says the gods needed rest. He's expanding energy on the ship up above and energy down here. Kirk says if he becomes drained, then maybe the others can jump him. Next thing we see is on the ship, Uhura is working under the council, and Spock sticks his head down there. Spock next to her says, time is of the essence. Mr. Spock, I haven't done anything like this in years. If it isn't done just right, I could blow the entire communication system. It's very delicate work, sir. I can think of no one better equipped to handle it, Miss Uhura. Please proceed. Yes, sir. Right away. I really like that line by Spock because it really points out that Uhura is a major and important officer on the ship. Yeah, and I also think it shows Spock's ability to be a leader. Yeah, good point. The next thing we see is Apollo returns to his chair with Carolyn and Apollo orders Kirk and the others to come to him. And Kirk says his tricks don't frighten them. And Apollo says, I can give life or death. Kirk says, we're fine with the one God we have. Hold on a second. That line was very odd to me. First time I think religion's been named. Yeah, it might be the first and only time in the original series anyway. So which god are they talking about? Somebody from a TV show in the 60s. Yeah. We- <laughs> they're, they're, they're worshiping beaver. In more ways than one. <laughs> I said that before I thought about it. <laughs> they're worshiping uh, Mrs. Beaver. <laughs> So what they're doing is they're trying to get Apollo riled up and use up his energy. Just when he's about ready to like hurl a lightning bolt at Kirk, 
Carolyn Palama steps in and says, no, no, you shouldn't be doing this. Kind of talks him down. And Kirk was kind of disappointed. In fact, he said something like, oh, Lieutenant, because she didn't know what the plan was. So Apollo says he will not hurt Kirk. Then he tells Kirk to prepare his crew to come down to the planet so they can worship him and build homes. I have been too patient. I will be patient no longer. He then disappears. McCoy asks Kirk if he has any other plans. And Kirk says, yes, one more. And it will depend on our lieutenant's loyalty to us. If she fails, then we better get used to hurting goats. I like that line too. So then uh, Palamas appears back to the uh, crew and Scotty starts towards her and Kirk stops and says, I'll talk to her. Then Chekhov offers to assist. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> And Kirk looks at him and says, how old are you? And Chekhov says, 22. Kirk says, then I better handle it. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, Kirk talks to Palamas. She says, I love him. Kirk softens a little and he says, all of our lives here and on the ship depend on you. If you don't reject him, we'll all become slaves to him. She says, Apollo is calling her. Kirk says, Lieutenant, you have your orders. She says, yes. And then she walks off. Back on the Enterprise, Uhura manages to get through to Kirk. Spock says they have found something down there that has something to do with the force field. And he says, is there a structure near you? And Kirk says, yes, there is. Kind of temple that they're standing next to. He then orders Spock to have Sulu lock phasers on the structure. He will give the order when to fire. So the next thing we see is Palamas and Apollo are making out and she pulls away and starts asking him all these questions. Yeah, but hold on, hold on. We got to talk about the make out scene a little bit here. (laughs) I mean, this was no peck on the cheek. No, they were deep into it. Well, I was reading that Michael Forrest, who played Apollo, said that working with her was great. I also saw that he talked about working with Shatner. They were almost never in a scene together because Michael Forrest was so much taller than Shatner. Yeah, I think uh, Michael Forrest was also in better shape. Oh, yeah. You know, in fact, one one story was that, you know, he's wearing that toga thing and you can see his chest on one side is bare, but you could almost barely see the nipple. And the reason is that they put tape over it and then put makeup over it because they thought, you know, showing a nipple back in 1967 would freak people out, even though we've seen Kirk's nipples several times with no tape, no makeup on them. Did I ever tell you that a fish bit my nipple? <laughs> <laughs> This is going to be worth every penny of the ramble jar, Dan. <laughs> I have not heard this story. Yeah. Uh, friends of mine in Illinois lived in uh, on a little lake, staying there for a couple of days, and I went out for a morning swim. I get in the water, and I was kind of just floating around. I saw a group of little fish were kind of like circling me. They weren't piranhas, were they? <laughs> well, I was kind of wondering with what happens next. But this slightly bigger fish came up, and he was like swimming there, and a couple others came up. And I was just treading water there and, and just watching all these fish around me. I was really fascinated. Yeah. All of a sudden, one just goes, bam, <laughs> and bit my nipple <laughs> and took a chunk out of oh it. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, I went in the house, told my friends, and they were laughing. Sure they would be. Yeah, because that's ridiculous. Whoever has heard of such a story. Yeah. I still have like a little indent in my uh, my nipple. Was it bleeding? Yeah, it was bleeding. I went and put some peroxide on it. That felt great. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the last times I went to their house because <laughs> I think they had piranha in the in the freaking lake. Yeah. <laughs> that story was worth every penny of the ramble that we're putting in right now. Dan. <laughs> 
So anyway, Palamas and uh, Apollo were making out. That's what started all this. Uh, she pulls away and starts asking asking him all these questions, like scientist, researcher type stuff. And this baffles him. And she says, I must get back with my work. And she says, you must realize I have only been studying you. And he says, you love me. She says, well, I could no more love you than I could love a new species of bacteria. Ouch. Ouch is right. Wow. I had some tough breakups, but man, I mean, nobody ever called me a species of bacteria. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, he forbids her to leave and she walks away anyways. And Apollo kind of looks slightly dazed and weak for a moment. And then the winds kind of kick up. He reaches up to the sky and thunder and lightning begin. And Plamis is walking away and we see like the winds like pushing her and she gets knocked to the ground. I need to know how the hell did her dress stay on? <laughs> I'm thinking they must have duct taped that thing to her. Yeah, I think you're right. But yeah, she was definitely holding it because they had some kind of huge wind machine, right? And things are blowing all over the place. And But she was, yeah, she was definitely holding on. And of course, back at the temple, Scotty, you know, about has a stroke and he says, we got to go find her. And Kirk orders to fire on the temple. We see the Enterprise firing down on the temple as the men scramble and hide behind some rocks. Apollo comes up and says, no. And he raises his hand and shoots a bolt towards the ship. And the ship is rocked. But they just keep firing and eventually destroys the temple. And Apollo looks just sad and defeated. Yeah. And so then he goes and stands in the rubble and says, Hermes, Hera, Aphrodite, you were right. The time has passed. There is no room for gods. And then he slowly fades away into the wind and disappears. Yeah, a good good scene, I thought. McCoy says, I hate that we had to do this. And Kirk agrees and says, So do I. They gave us so much. The Greek civilization, much of our culture and philosophy came from a worship of those beings. Would it have hurt us, I wonder, just to have gathered a few laurel leaves? And that's how the show ends, Dan. Dan, do you want to uh, discuss themes and dilemmas first? The dilemma that I see in this episode is, you know, what happened to the ancient gods? So what I mean by that is every religious person believes that their god is the true god, right? So it begs the question, are the earlier gods any less legitimate than current gods? And why did humans morph from believing in many gods to believing in just one, at least in the world's major religions? Most of those religions are monotheistic. So why aren't there still many gods? And did does science have something to do with that? Like, did science do away with the need for having a different God to explain, you know, each and every natural phenomenon, such as, you know, the wind or the sun or the seasons or whatever? I, I guess I'm not sure it's a dilemma, more as I see it as like a question of why did humans, for lack of a better term, evolve gods in that way? Wow, that's pretty deep. Uh, it's something I've wondered uh, when you study religion, you know, and you'd see these different changes through society and stuff over the years. It does make you wonder how things changed. I, I, I wonder what the case will be in 2,000 years, assuming the human race is still around. Will, will it have morphed into something else or a different god or different major religions? Now, not every major religion on the planet is monotheistic. I want to make that clear, you know. Yeah. What about you? Did you have a dilemma? I was thinking like a theme is that uh, man cannot be forced to worship. Uh, and when you've got somebody that's saying you will do this and you will do that and, and you will worship me, 
you know, I mean, for us these days, 21st century, we are looking and saying, you know, yeah, that's not going to happen. We would prefer a, a peaceful deity that's going to say, you know, I will help you. I'll give you shelter. I'll give you peace of mind if you accept me. It's not a, It's not being forced. Except the flip side of that is if you don't believe in that God, then they're going to send you to hell or some version of it. So it is still kind of coercive, isn't it? Oh, yeah, definitely. So, Dan, do you have a best part of the episode that uh, you want to discuss? Yeah, Dana, I do. I really thought that the speech by Apollo at the end, when he realizes that humans no longer have any need for him, I really thought that was pretty poignant. And once again, I think Michael Forrest as Apollo really carried that well. I did read that the producers originally wanted John Voight to play that role, but he couldn't because he had some other commitment. Can you imagine John Voight in that role? I just can't picture it. Yeah, no, I can't either. So anyway, I thought that speech, and then that was just one example I thought of Michael Forrest being excellent as Apollo. By the way, he's still alive. Both he and Palamas are still alive. Yeah, he's 93. Yeah, we need to get him on the podcast. That guy was awesome. How about you, uh, best part? Uh, Spock in command of the ship. He was very direct, but also showed some willingness to uh, to show his softer side. I, it was nice to see him in charge and not have people talking back to him, you know, begging to be court-martialed, you know, uh, it was uh, it was good to see that. How about you? You got another one? I really love the set. I thought it was simple yet effective. I like the temple. The, the statue that Scotty picked up to try to, you know, bash Apollo's head in, that, that was maybe a little ridiculous, but I really liked when the temple got reduced to ruins. How about you? Another best part. Plumas's toga. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, mystifying how that stayed on at all. Laws of physics came can't be explained there. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> and seriously, though, to uh, the idea that ancient aliens visited Earth and established some cultures, I don't believe in that theory, but I, I like the idea of it and that they incorporated it into this show. Yeah, I'm with you on that. It is it is cool to think about, but I also think it's a bunch of crap. Speaking of crap, what's one of your worst parts? <laughs> one of the worst parts for me was Scotty's infatuation with Lieutenant Carolyn Palamas. Just, I just thought it was stupid, Dana. How about you, Dana? Did you have a worse part? Well, we've already mentioned Chekhov's wig, so I'll pick something else. Here's something that bothers me. They're on this five-year mission to explore new planets, meet new civilizations, you know. They learn nothing about this alien culture. How they move through space, how long they've existed, are they, are they on other planets? We, we know nothing about them. What's Kirk right in the captain's log? Met an alien, basically uh, tried to overpower us so we killed it they they don't exist anymore end of story that's a good point yeah so that's what bothered me about this you got anything else that's bothering you about this episode yeah you kind of mentioned it or something similar when caroline was being thrown about in the wind her dress stayed on yeah that is a problem i can see that so. <laughs> dana did you have another worst part you mentioned scotty going overboard about uh caroline palamas that was kind of one of mine just i i like the fact that he was you know involved romantically or had romantic notions it, it kind of went too far so dana there are a few other things with this episode that we both like to talk about what's what what's one of the things you want to mention well i did want to talk a little bit about leslie parrish who played caroline palamas for starters she was in one of my favorite movies uh, the Manchurian Candidate. Oh, yeah. I love that movie, too. The original. The original, yeah. Has had a long career. She showed up on the Batman TV show. Uh, she was on Wild Wild West, Mannix, Petticoat Junction, just to name a few. And she did star in a movie called The uh, 
giant spider invasion. And I saw a clip of that, and wow, that was uh, pretty bad. She later married writer Richard D. Bach, who wrote Jonathan Livingston Siegel. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. They did end up getting divorced, but uh, they were married for quite a while. Yeah, because how could you stay married to a bird for that long? I don't know. Especially a seabird. <laughs> God, they're loud, those seabirds. Yeah, they're dirty. Dirty. And they will steal. Like, if you're walking, you know, or sitting by the beach and got french fries or something, or sandwich, look out. Oh, they, yeah. They're coming in. They take little children. They sh- yeah. <laughs> They take little children, and they do. <laughs> and they crap all over the place. You do not want to get crapped on by like a gull. It's not good. No. It's it's at least six to 12 ounces. It's a lot. And talk about uh, an animal that needs Pepto-Bismol. That's just way <laughs> running stuff. <though. laughs> I read that book, though. I remember being like, wow, this is a great book, you know, when I was like a teenager. So good. <laughs> No, now I wouldn't even have it in the Schmitter, I don't think. (laughs) Unless it was being used for paper. (laughs) This is what I really want to point out is that she she considered this uh, Star Trek episode some of her best work. And she said she still gets teary eyed when watching the reruns because of the whole relationship and Michael Forrest's reactions. You got anything else, Dan, that uh, you want to throw in there? Yeah, apparently the original ending, or at least an idea for the original ending to the show, is that Palamas was pregnant with Apollo's child. I just wished they would have taken it there. Wouldn't that have been cool? And then talk about the possibility for some type of sequel. Sequel, yeah, exactly. Dana, as we said earlier, both Michael Forrest, who played Apollo, and Leslie Parrish, who played Carolyn, they're both still alive. I think you said Forrest was 93, Parrish is like, what, 87, something like that? Yeah, I think so. We should try to get them on the show. They were great in this episode. We didn't make fun of them at all. I mean, they may be two of the best guest stars that still happen to be alive. And if they have dementia, like they probably do, they It'd fit right in with us. <laughs> okay, now they're not going to be on the show, Dana. <laughs> I guess Michael Forrest was kind of a health nut. I read an interview, he was in his 80s already, and he said, you know, I work out, tape my nipples every day by, when I go to the gym. <laughs> anyway, it would really be cool to get them on. I wonder if there's a way to reach out to them somehow. There's got to be a... Dana, how about this state in history? I think there's probably some stuff that happened, (laughs) I would guess. Dan, there's always stuff that happens. This was September 22nd, 1967. The number one song in the U.S. was by the Box Tops, The Letter. A great song and more famously re-recorded by uh, Joe Cocker. One of my favorite versions of that song. Yeah, both versions are really good, but I agree with you. That Joe Cocker version is really great. And because you want to know, in the U.K., uh oh. Engelbert Humperdinck, two weeks on the charts with the last waltz. So, also on this date, the cruise ship RMS Queen Mary departed from New York City for its 500th and last time, leaving the Cunard Line Pier with a send off ceremony marked by thousands of people cheering and waving in a performance by the 55 man U.S. Merchant Marine Academy Band. So, it did, this didn't happen on the 22nd, but on the 23rd, voters in New Zealand overwhelmingly favored a measure to end the limits that had endangered the six o'clock swill, where bar patrons drank heavily after getting off of work because alcoholic beverages could not be legally sold after 6 p.m. in the evening. What? (laughs) What? (laughs) Given a choice of two closing hours for hotel bars, voters favored extending the time to 10 p.m. at night. 
Okay, Dan, let's get to the counts. Yeah, let's do that. Dana, how many dead crewmen this week? Zero. Yeah, I'm a little disappointed with how how season two has started, Dana. No dead crewmen at all this season so far. We're stuck at 26.5. Shirtless Kirk, rip shirt Kirk count. You know, I was hoping we could extend this to uh, Palamas. Uh, but that didn't happen. So, <laughs> so it's still zero. It is zero. We're stuck at 10. He's dead. Zero. Zero stuck at four. I'm a doctor, not a fill in the blank. You know, I think uh, they could have put that in in this, you know, I'm a doctor, not a Greek archaeologist. There's a, a million things McCoy could have said. Yep, but he didn't. So zero this week. We're stuck at three. The supreme being count. Well, we definitely have one here. He claimed to be a god, acted like a god. So that's one for this week for a total of six. Violation of the Prime Directive. Uh, Zero. Zero for this week for a total of four. All right, what do we have for next week, Dana? I forgot to look. The Changeling. Damn, we have the Changeling next week. Really? I didn't know that. (laughs) Hey, Dana, once again, had a great time tonight, and I hope you have a good rest of your week. I'll see you next time. Dan, this has been a pleasure. Like I always say, it's great to be able to talk about Star Trek. Thanks to all our listeners for all their comments. Thanks, Lou, and for all the other people that uh, send us notes. Until we meet again, live long and prosper. Thanks once again for listening to... Damn it, Jim, the podcast. We'd love to hear from you. Please send us an email at dammitjimpodcast at gmail.com or join the discussion on Facebook, Twitter, or YouTube. Make sure to join Dana and Dan next week for The Changeling. Until then, enjoy the rest of your week and remember to live long and prosper. Prosper.